Good morning. The scripture this morning is taken from Revelation 5, 1 through 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. May God bless the reading of his holy word. And I want to thank God that he left us this great message. Amen. Thank you for such a faithful reading, Pam. Who is God? That's a, that's a good question to start with on any Sunday. But typically, particularly today, as we talk about 
Jesus being the mighty God, it's the question we have to ask ourselves today. Who is God? Who is the God? Who is the mighty God? I, I did an investigation this week to see how many gods I could discover have been officially worshipped by humanity across all human history. That's not an easy thing to try to discover, actually, I found, is how many gods actually have people attempted to worship or to make into a god? I, it's probably innumerable. It's probably an impossible task to try to find exactly how many there are. But one, one place I, I found, it says anthropologists estimate that at least 18,000 different gods, goddesses, and various animals or objects have been worshipped by humans since our species first appeared. Today, it is estimated that more than 80% of the global population considers themselves religious or spiritual in some form. And again, if you just do a quick kind of overview, there's all different types of religions and types of gods that people have worshipped through the years. There's people who say there is no god, which in some sense is a god. Atheism is in some sense its own attempt at worshipping something. It's just the worship of yourself, right? Or there's monotheistic religions that say that there is one God and there's a lot of overlap in terms of you know, Islam and Judaism and Mormonism saying that there is one God. Now they differ on how that God is manifested or understood, but they would all agree that there is one God alone. And then there's many religions that are polytheistic, meaning that they worship many gods. Um, and even that's debated in terms of how that's expressed, but um, various tribal religions and groups throughout the years, I see your eyes looking forward, which means, yeah, Kevin is putting, no, that's good, it was good timing. Uh, this gives you just a, a visual overview of the, of the history of religion, of God worship throughout the ages. And you can see there's a variety and it's confusing and there's many across the world. Um, I was reading one book earlier this year tracking modern religion, modern God worship. It's a book called Strange Rites by a woman named Tara Isabella Burton. And she was talking about the complexity of what religion or God even is today and how there's a move away from institutional worship or the worship of God things like church or a place of worship, a move from institutional to intuitional, meaning I'm going to worship whatever I feel like is worthy of my worship. And so therefore I can create my own God or my own religion without the burden of having to be held accountable to a, an institution of some sort. And so it's in this, it's in this complexity that we find the yellow strand on the screen, which is the strand of where Jesus emerges from. The ancient Near East, thousands of years ago, which God appeared to Abraham in the land of Ur and said, go to the land that I will show you and I will make you the father of many nations. And from that point forward, the organized understanding of the God of Israel coming in to save his people, to save broken humanity, to save the whole world begins. 
And it's from that thread that Jesus of Nazareth eventually emerges. It's from that thread that Isaiah writes, to us a son is given, to us a son is born. And the government will be on his shoulder and his name will be called, as we learned last week, Wonderful Counselor. As we'll learn this week, his name will be called Mighty God. Is Jesus really God? And if he is, how does that change our life today? Um, Just to quote one more thing from psychology before we get into the full depths of Jesus being Mighty God. Uh, I read an article this week that was entitled, Why Do Humans Keep Inventing Gods to Worship? And it points to a specific study that tries to locate a specific spot within the human brain to give a reason for why humans are seeking gods to worship or a god to worship. And they point to something called the periaqueductal gray within the human brain. It's an ancient structure within the human brain that is believed to play a role in our response to fear, to pain, and to altruistic behavior or the behavior wanting to help other people. And it says that it's within that space that most people who believe in a God, they find there's more activity in that periaqueductal gray space. Now, I don't know anything else about that. So my conversation on the human brain will stop at that very moment. But what we will investigate is how are we to think about God today? What would make you drawn to the reality of God being involved intimately in your world? And I think this phrase, mighty God, has a lot to do with it. What I love about what this sermon series over the next three weeks that we started last week is doing for us is it slows us down to look at just two words each week. Last week, wonderful counselor. This week, mighty God. So we're just going to take it two words, one word at a time. This Let's begin first with mighty. So again, we're drawing from Isaiah where it says that Jesus, the son, is the mighty God. Mighty, the word in Hebrew, the original language that Isaiah would have written in, is this word, the Hebrew word gibor, which means strong, warrior, champion, a valiant hero is kind of the background of the word. And it's oftentimes used in the Old Testament to refer to mighty men, these warrior men who would surround people like King David, who would come around the king and go and fight the battles for the, for the God that they were serving under. So they would have this, this, this idea of the heroes of the kingdom. And so I, I, I was thinking this week about, you know, someone that many of us have come to know through, you know, Greek mythology, if you took that in high school, or even if watching Disney movies or things, you learn about like someone like the mighty Hercules, right? Who was described as a mighty hero uh, in ancient Greece. And if you learn just a little bit about the story of Hercules, you're, you're, you see that he was not born a god. He was called the son of uh, Zeus, who was the Greek god. But he was not born a god. He was born a mortal And he went through these trying scenarios as a child in his crib where these two snakes tried to attack his crib. Maybe you know this story. I was kind of getting a refresher this week 
kind of combining the Disney movie with like what the real mythology is. But the story goes, Hercules was in a crib as a baby and these two snakes um, or attempt to kill him in his crib. And the infant Hercules was unusually strong and fearless. And as a baby, he strangled the snakes before they could strangle him. And so the myth is born. Just like any good hero, there's a, there's a moment where you're like, wow, this is not like a normal man or a normal mortal. There's something unique about Hercules. And so the story goes on to where uh, Hercules was kind of put under this trial to, be, to have his strength and his hero status tested. And so he ended up going through these, what's called the 12 labors of Hercules. And let me just give you a brief overview of the things he had to go through in order to overcome uh, the challenges that were being put forth his way. He had to trap and kill a lion. He had to slay a nine-headed monster. He had to snare a giant man-eating boar. He had to clean out manure from a giant stable. I think that's the worst one out of all of them, by the way. He had to capture a rampaging bull. He had to capture four man-eating horses. Who knew there was such a thing? He had to steal an armored belt from an Amazon warrior. That's not Amazon like the package delivers. That's like you know, Amazon... Again, we got a context, right? I know we're, we're under rampage from Amazon. It's the holiday season. I get it. He had to steal the cattle of a three-headed, six-legged monster. And he traveled to Hades to kidnap. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped one. He had to steal a set of golden apples. I don't quite understand the full significance of that. And then 10th, he had to travel to Hades to kidnap uh, a vicious three-headed dog that guarded the gates of Hades. And after Hercules proved his mighty valor through all those things, he was then seen as someone who was worthy of becoming a god. And so when he died, he was then given a place among the stars on Mount Olympus, and he was carried up by a chariot, according to legend, where he will spend the rest of eternity with the gods. So when it says that Jesus is the mighty God, the son who was born to us, is Jesus just like another Hercules? who was born, went through these trials, did amazing things, earned his strength, fought for us, achieved greatness, and now is sitting with God because he's earned it and is there. That's where we come to Revelation 5. In one sense, yes. In one sense, yes. Jesus is like Hercules. I want you to look at Revelation 5, verses 1 through 5. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's also printed in your uh, worship guide this morning. There's a print out there. I encourage you to follow along. Verses 1 through 5 point us to the future when we see Jesus and his fullness. And we get to learn if Jesus is worthy of being the mighty God. Think about worthiness. There needs to be someone or something that is able to save and step in for us as humanity. And again, I, like the, the religion chart I showed earlier shows, we've attempted a lot of different ways to try to find a savior and a solution to the problems we have as a human race. But what we learn in verses one through five is that there is a strong rescuer hero for humanity. 
there is a strong rescuer hero for humanity. Who is able to do that? Which of the 18,000 gods we mentioned earlier, or if you look in Hinduism, they say Hinduism says there's as many as 330 million gods. Which among those gods will emerge as the hero for the human race? Which one of them will come and save us? Or will all of them come at the same time and will one of them prove their worth as the equal, as the one among equals? So in verse 2, so verse 1, it talks about the scroll. Let me just explain a little bit briefly about what that means. In Revelation, we're not going to get deep into the, the theology of the whole book, but there's this idea of the scroll. So picture like a rolled up piece of paper and there's a scroll and on it there are seven seals which keep the scroll shut. And you may say, well, what's the importance of the scroll? The scroll symbolically opened up is the will of God for the history of the world. So when it's kept, when it's kept closed, that means God's plan and God's will in the world is not being rolled out yet. But if someone was able to come and open the seals, to break the seals, then the scroll would be opened and God's plan of redemption would unfold. Does that make sense? But no one is able to open the scroll. That's what we learn in verses 2 through 5. Verse 2, I saw a mighty angel, a mighty angel. Keyword, focus it on the word mighty. A mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And in verse 3, we are filled with despair. Where is the one who's going to come and open this? Which of the 18,000? Which God? Which, which mortal is going to step up? Who is going to be mighty enough to take the, the scroll from the mighty angel and open the seals? You know, this begins to feel a little bit like the story of David and Goliath. Remember that story? where there's the mighty Philistine giant Goliath back in the Old Testament who's fighting for the, the enemy of Israel. And then on the other side, there's Israel who's trembling in their boots and trying to find someone who will step up to fight the Philistine, to fight the mighty giant of, of the Philistine army, Goliath. And no one's stepping up. So the search begins, who's going who's gonna to fight Goliath? And the same feeling is happening here at the end of all things, who is worthy to open the scroll? In verse three, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. No one in the world. It's at verse three where you, you have to live in verse three for just a moment and acknowledge the fact that for some of us, that reality still remains. That we feel like there is no hope for the world after all. Like there is a purpose and there's a plan for the world that can unfold, but no one's actually able to make it happen. Maybe it, maybe it really is just all about our personal enlightenment and growing into the fullest version of ourselves and being a good person and enjoying life. Maybe that really is all that it's about. Maybe it's all just a, a journey towards inner peace. And maybe all roads do just lead to the same end. And this is just a somewhat temporary existence that then will fade away into the abyss one day and move on to our next thing. Or maybe we'll be reincarnated and come back as, a, as something else. There are many in the world 
that find that there is no one worthy to open the scroll. In verse four, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy. No one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look into it. And then verse five. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Look and behold, the lion, pause. Yes, there's a lion that shows up. What could be more mighty or strong or hero worthy than a lion? The lion is here with a loud roar, with a a majestic mane, with a towering presence, with with muscles. And he's he's the king of the jungle. Yes, the judge is here, strong and powerful, imposing, majestic. The lion of Judah is here, the root of David. And not only is he here, but he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. This is what we've needed. We've needed a conqueror. We've needed a mighty hero, someone who is worthy, power and might and strength has indeed come for humanity. And it's in the image of the lion of the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah, remember going all the way back to the Old Testament, there's a promised one from the tribe of Judah who's going to come, one of the 12 sons of Israel. That's remember David came through the tribe of Judah. Someone is going to come through this royal line. People thought it was David. People thought it was going to be another one of the kings and they kept failing and falling into sin. And now the lion, the mighty one has come. He is worthy. He's the fulfillment of the promises. He's the true and better shepherd boy, David. Remember, David does step up and take on the slingshot and he knocks down Goliath. So it's like, here's the true and better shepherd boy. We don't have to worry about a little, a little kid now who's going to come and knock out the mighty Philistine. We have a lion. Yes, this feels like the finishing part of the story, doesn't it? We've waited for the lion to emerge and here he is. You know, and we need, we need that kind of strength in our life. I, I really, I, I, I want to emphasize this point very strongly that whenever I read about the lion of the tribe of Judah, my heart really is genuinely filled with, with relief because I was walking through the streets of Salem at one point this week on a cold kind of gray, dreary day, just recalling the enormity of what it means to be a Christian in the city of Salem and to think about the weight of spiritual battle that exists in this place and the task before us as a church to be a shining light and to think about the burden of our neighbors and our friends who, who we want to know the good news and to have their life filled with purpose and joy and meaning. And I got overwhelmed with my own weakness this week. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you all have felt similar at some point in your Christian life or just in your life in general, where you've been so aware of your weakness and your frailty and your inability to be the savior of the world. It's a good realization to realize that you are weak and that you can't save the world yourself. It really is up to God to be strong and mighty. Our courage and faith comes from him being strong and mighty, not us developing strength and might in and of ourselves. We are weak and he is strong. 
Therefore, we can have hope because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is mighty. And there's scriptures throughout the Old Testament that come to mind about the mighty uh, capability of Jesus, you know, being great in counsel, mighty indeed, Jeremiah 32 says. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, The Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great and mighty and awesome God. God is so strong and mighty and worthy. Psalm 24 famously asks the question, Who is this king of glory? And the answer is the Lord, strong and mighty. He is the strong one that we can rely on when we are feeling the most weak. When we are most in tune with our normalcy and our humanness, which is naturally means that we have limits and that we have bounds that we can't get past. It's really reassuring to know that God is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Jesus is worthy to save because he is heroic. He is strong and mighty and he fights for you. So in that sense, Jesus is really like Hercules. However, in another very strong sense, Jesus is not just like Hercules. Continue on in in verses 6 through 10. And I want you to continue to think about worthiness. Who is worthy to open the seals and open the scroll? Break the seals and open the scroll. There needs to be someone or something able to save us and step in for us. And we talked about the strong, heroic one, the lion, who's strong enough to break the seals. But to be worthy also means that there needs to be a sacrificial substitute for us. And which of the 18,000 gods is able to do that or has proven their worth in that? Again, which modern technology promises to do that for everyone, to substitute themselves in our place? And so in verse 6, there's a nothing less than a stunning twist in the story. Remember, we have the mighty lion who is sitting there, strong and mighty, showing his worth and his capacity as the top of the food chain, coming to roar with with might and with with valiance. And then in verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Gentle, soft, pure images of comfort and dependence. In some sense, really the opposite of mighty when you think about the food chain. Not strong, not necessarily valiant. What is it that makes one truly mighty then? Not just worthiness through strength and valor, but also worthiness through sufficiency through being solely capable to provide what nothing else or no one else can provide. What's interesting about this lamb is the first thing we read about it is that it is standing. You may say, why is that strange? Don't all lambs stand? Well, yes, ones that are alive. 
because the very next thing we read is that this lamb was slain. This was a slain lamb standing. Verse 6, it describes it as having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. There's a whole imagery in the book of Revelation about the number seven, which, which points to the, the completeness. Seven was the number of completeness in ancient times. So think about seven days of creation. So when you saw the word, the number seven, it, it signified fullness. And so all we see here about the lamb is that it is full of the spirit of God. And that's what's, that's what's enabling it to stand as though it's victorious, having been killed and slain as a substitute. It's able to walk in verse seven to receive the scroll of judgment and to take it from the one who's on the throne. So verse seven, again, this slain lamb walks and willingly takes the scroll from the right hand of him on the throne. And in verse eight, when he takes the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. You see, it's no longer just the lion that is now worthy. It's the lamb who is now the more pertinent explanation for the worthiness of the hero. The lion, yes, gives us a picture of the worthiness, the strength to, to break the seals. But the lamb is the one who actually goes and takes the scroll. The substitute is the one who takes the scroll. The sacrifice is the one who is worthy to walk up to the stage and take it. What makes him worthy? Verse 9, worthy are you to take the scrolls and open the seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed a people for God. What makes the lamb worthy is his blood, his sacrifice, his pure, spotless, righteous blood, sacrificed and substituted for whom? You ransomed a people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. The lamb gave his life out of love for all people. You see the totality of that explanation. We have four flags that are on the back of the wall here at the church out of the 200 nations that exist today, out of the myriads of people groups that experience today that live on the earth that we pray for, some of whom we've met, some of whom we'll never meet, speaking all these different languages, looking all different types of ways. And the lamb gave his blood and sacrificed and substitution for everyone. And that's what makes him worthy. And so therefore everybody worships the lion lamb the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands, it says in verse 11. And in verse 12, it says, all these people worship him and say with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. Or some of your versions say strength. But remember the mighty God in Isaiah 9, 6. Here it says the lamb is able to receive mightiness. Jesus is mighty because he is worthy. And Jesus is worthy because he is mighty. He's the lion and the lamb. Strong and valiant hero. Meek and mild savior through substituting and sacrificing. And so all that leads us to the idea that Jesus is God. If Jesus is worthy through his mighty lion lamb understanding, 
then he is the visible revelation of the one true living God. Out of the thousands of gods that we talked about earlier, only one has come down to us in true humility and relates to us fully. Jesus being mighty God allows us, weak humans, to be freely what we really are. He allows us to be weak and that to be okay. He allows us to be limited and that be okay. He allows us to be dependent and reliant and that's okay because he is for us what we cannot be for ourselves. And that, if understood well, is really reassuring. Jesus being mighty God means that he can be for us what we really need him to be. Yes, it means that Jesus is strong and mighty enough to save us no matter what comes our way, no matter what trial we're experiencing or difficulty we have in life. Jesus is strong enough to deal with it. He can take on the heavy load. It's, he, has, he has no limits. Anything he can take on. Anything we want to give, he can take on. He's mighty. But even more so, Jesus being mighty means that he is compassionate and loving and gracious enough to want to save us. Let me say that again. Yes, Jesus is mighty to save us. He can take on anything. But even more so, him being mighty means that he's compassionate and loving enough to want to do it. I've read a lot of stories this week about other gods that I don't think want to save humanity. I read a lot of stories about gods this week that wanted to be worshipped because they're God. But I only read one story this week about a God who wants to save his people. And that God is Jesus, the compassionate, loving Savior God. I think I've told this story before, but there's a story from a, a missionary family that went to um, North Africa and um, they encountered a, a chief in the district who was known for cannibalism and had recently captured and eaten 14 of his captors or of the people who had come to his village because uh, they practiced cannibalism. But when a, when a missionary couple came and explained the gospel of Jesus to them for the first time, the wife of the chief heard the story of Jesus and said, I have always said that there ought to be a God like that. Or another, another way to say it, I had always wished that there was a God who would be like the, like the Jesus you just described. And I think that's reflective of us as well. I think deep in each human heart, there's a desire and a longing that I wish there was a God who would save me. I wish there was a God who would extend himself down to my lowly, weak estate and save me in my darkest and deepest moment. And the truth of the gospel is that the story is true, that the longing of your heart is fulfilled. And the, the Christmas story gives us that in such rich form. The invitation of the gospel is to be in your weakness and to receive the God who comes to you in strength, to trust his mightiness, to receive the goodness that he's offering you, to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are strong and I'm not. And then at the very same moment to realize and believe that that God who is strong enough to save you 
actually died on the cross for you and rose on the third day so that your death ultimately won't be the end of your story. Your death will simply be the entrance into real life. That's the invitation of the gospel. That's the invitation to accept Jesus into your life, into our life, and to live in a community where we encourage one another towards that. So as we finish this morning, may you receive the lion and the lamb, the mighty God who was born in the manger, who grew to die on the cross for your sins, is the one who reigns forever. And he's the one who invites you to be part of his family forever. Let me close us in prayer and we'll sing our final song in just a moment. God, we pause uh, just for a moment uh, at the end of our service to allow that text to, to seep into our heart this morning. And we pray that it would find a soft landing spot wherever we are in life. That the God who, who made all things and who never gave up on humanity, even after sin entered the world, is now beckoning and calling each of us to come to you and to receive fullness of life. So whether we've believed already and we just need to go deeper into that this morning, or if maybe for the first time today, we want to receive your call for the first time, Lord, would you give us boldness and courage to step towards you and to simply take your hand, pulling us up out of, out of the mud and into your loving embrace. So Holy Spirit, uh, speak to us this morning. Meet each of us where we need to be met. It's in the strong and loving name of Jesus, we pray, amen.